very well-behaved group, too, because... Yes, yes, yes. Not, not that the past groups have not been, but sometimes when you get the kids up here, it's like it's, it's really funny because you never know what's going to happen. Um, let's just bow our heads in a word of prayer before we jump into the sermon. God, thank you so much for this incredible day. Thank you so much for this time that we can spend together worshiping you as our king, as the Messiah, as Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you for that. And thank you for just the, the children reminding us of that truth. God, we thank you for a church just filled that is filled with so many children, so many teenagers. Um, it, it, the, the future, just the future looks so bright, Lord God. And, and we know that if we make the, the children and our youth a part of the church of today, they will be a part of the church of tomorrow. So I pray that you would strengthen them and encourage them. Give them boldness, Lord God. Give them courage as they live their lives for you. We love you. We praise you for this time that we can spend together in Jesus' name. Amen. So now that the children are leaving, we're going to talk about another child, if you will, Jesus. And uh, as we continue in our series, Finding Jesus, young Jesus, last week we talked about this in part one of this sermon, um, but young Jesus now is um, basically hanging out with some of the, the teachers in the temple after he was separated from his parents. We talked about this last week. You know, they came, they did the rituals, and then they, they were moving on, and they were a day into their journey and realized we had misplaced the Son of God. All right? So they obviously did what any great parents would do. They, they go back and they try to find him. So that's where we are. We left off on Jesus' first words, recorded words, in Luke chapter 2, verses 49 through 52. And it says this, And he said to them, to his parents, when they, when they first saw him, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So they, they go day's journey. They realize that they're missing Jesus. Okay, they, they go and try to find Jesus. And when Mary first sees him in verse 48, we talked about this last week. She says, behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And in some version, the NIV, it says your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. So they were they were searching for him and they were overwhelmed by it all. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not sure that's what my mother would have said when she first saw me after three days. Right. She would have said, behold, where have you been for three days? Right. Behold, you're grounded. Behold, you're walking behind the camel after we feed it on the way back. Whatever it must be. But behold. Right. You know, you're, you're, you, you'd be like a parent. Your parent will respond three days. And, but this is very, very, very important. We talked about it a lot last week. You need to remember that Jesus was exactly where he should have been. It was Mary and Joseph who were out of place. Okay, 12-year-old Jesus was where he should have been this entire time here when he was when his parents left, 
Okay, and he was he, he he lost his parents at that point. He was where he should have been been. Mary and Joseph were the ones who were out of place. Jesus says to them, so they they're looking everywhere for him. For days they're looking for him. When they finally find him, Mary says, Behold, why have you basically well why did you do this to your your dad and me? And Jesus says back to her in in a totally appropriate way, there I'm not being sarcastic, he says, Why would you be looking for me? Didn't you know that I'd have to be in my father's house? I mean, she comes in probably frantic, and I'm sure he was very happy to see his parents. And, of course, they're saying, you know, behold, your father and I have been searching. We've been anxious. We've been overwhelmed. And well, how could you do this? And Jesus said, Mom, Dad, why were you, even, why were you looking for me all, for all these days? Didn't you know that where I would be? Didn't you know that I'd have to be in my father's house? We said last week that it was at this point that there, there, you had this transition taking, taking place from Jesus being concerned with the will of his earthly father to being more concerned, if you will, ultimately concerned with the will of his heavenly father. Now, that doesn't mean Jesus stopped loving his parents, stopped obeying his parents, stopped being respectful of his parents. He never sinned. OK, in this situation, in this story, Jesus never sinned. I said that last week. Jesus wasn't being disrespectful and his parents weren't irresponsible. It was very easy during that time. And I won't get into all the details, but it would be very easy for parents of a 12 year old, especially to go a day's journey and realize, wait a second, where's Jesus? I thought he was here. I thought he was with you. I thought he was. I thought he was with. And all of a sudden you realize, well, we, we can't find him. So Jesus did not sin in this situation, but his focus, his focus is on obeying the heavenly father. His focus is now, as he gets older, his focus becomes his ultimate purpose. He is focusing on his ultimate purpose. What is the father's ultimate, God the father's ultimate purpose for my life? And again, Luke makes it very clear here in Luke chapter 2, makes it very clear through Jesus' own words that Jesus was right where he should have been. Have been. Jesus was not the one who was lost. Okay? He was not the one who was lost. Joseph and Mary searched when they found out they're like, well, OK, we just lost the son of God. I mean, think about that. It's not you know, your child. It's your child, obviously. But he's also the son of God. So they lost the son of God. So they finally they find him. But they were searching. They were searching everywhere for him. They come back. And where would a 12 year old go here, there and there? They're searching everywhere. But here's the thing. Here's the point we don't want to miss. The last place they looked was the first place they should have looked. That's why Jesus said what he said. Why, why would you be searching for me? Did you not know I'd be in my father's house? The last place they looked should have been the first place that they looked. Jesus needed to be in his father's house. And in some translations, it says Jesus needed to be about his father's business. Didn't, don't you know that I must be about my father's business? Same thing in my father's house doing my father's business. So the question is, what is the business or will of God the Father for Jesus? What is God the Father's will for, for his son Jesus? It was to be the savior of the world. It was to be the Messiah. That was his, that was his purpose. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21, it says this, She will give birth to a son and you will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. 
That's his purpose. From birth, you will give, she will give birth to a son and you will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Okay? So there, there's clarity there. The father's business is to show the world that he sent his son, that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, the one, his one and only son and savior. That's the father's business. That was his purpose for the son. That he would, he would show the world that he's sending Jesus into the world to save them from their sin. That Jesus Christ is his only son and savior. In John chapter 17 and verse 3 it says, and this is eternal life. You know, you think if I died right now, you hear that, you hear that often. You know, people will see it on signs. If you died now, where would you go? You know, it, this is it, eternal life is what we're talking about. He said, and this is eternal life. That they know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The father's business is also it's it's also mentioned in John chapter four and verse thirty four. It says Jesus said to them, my food. It looks just that I was reading that. And I thought the intensity, if you think about it, of just that statement. Think about food. Why do you need food? OK, Jesus says, my food is to do, this is the intensity with which he does the will of God. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus isn't confused what his purpose in life is all about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me, okay, and to accomplish his work. What is the work that Jesus is to accomplish? What is that work? And did he accomplish the work or the business of his father? The answer to that question is yes, he did. And he did it by giving his life on the cross. So he fulfilled his purpose by dying on the cross. In John chapter 19 and verse 30, it says, When Jesus had received the the sour wine, he said, It is finished. He's hanging on the cross. It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up, okay, control, gave up his spirit. The father's will is for the son to give up his life to save the world. Jesus understood that. His life was a ransom. His life was given for us. The father's business, the father's will is that the son would give up his life to save the world. In John 3.16, many of you know this verse, right? God so loved the world. He's so, and then we're talking about world. We're not talking, we're talking about individuals in the world. You go look that up, okay? It's not just broadly in gen, it's individuals. God so loved every single individual in this world. That he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. See, Luke shows us here in, in, this, in this, this temple experience. This temple experience. He shows us the, fulfill, the, the, the beginning, this, this fulfilling of this, of this process. It, it, this fulfillment, in, it's, in, it's in process. God, Jesus knows what his ultimate goal is. He knows what his ultimate purpose is. And here in the temple, we're beginning to see this fulfillment in process. The wisdom, the knowledge of Jesus is increasing. He's growing. Okay, he, he's growing. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 52, it says, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature. Now, 
Now, so I want you to get out your pens or if you have a pen or whatever else. Or I, I really this the rest of the sermon is so important when it comes to how do we answer people's questions or how do you answer some of your own questions? There's some theology we're going to talk about this morning that if you understand this, it trickles down and helps you understand so many other questions that you may have. All right. So Jesus is growing in wisdom and in stature. And the question might be, well, if he's God, wouldn't he know all this stuff already? Right. Because you're saying, you know, Jesus is the son of God. And if he's God, wouldn't he know this already? Okay, so Jesus is fully God and fully man. Okay, fully God and fully man. He has two distinct natures. He has a divine nature and he has a human nature. Okay, we have a human nature, a sinful nature, right? Saved by grace. All right. So now we're, we're, we're perfect in standing with God when we give our lives to Christ. Jesus had a human nature, sinless. Okay, he was sinlessly perfect even in his human nature. But he also had a divine nature. He is fully God and he is fully man. Listen to these verses, write them down. And then the next time a Jehovah's Witness comes and knocks on your door, you won't run behind your couch and turn all your lights out and hope you don't have to talk to him. Okay, this is good. This is important. Okay, for you to understand these verses, write them down, look them over, just memorize them or know where to find them. And then if someone comes and wants to talk to you, well, you, you believe that Jesus is God. Why do you believe that? And here's what it says here. And here's what it says there. Listen to these verses. Okay, fully God. John fourteen eleven says, believe me when I say I am in the father and the father is in me. Now, can I explain that to you? No. Okay. That is above my pay grade. Okay. I can't explain the Trinity. There's certain things I can't explain that are just truth. You know, what's funny when I, when, as I was growing in my faith, I realized something very important. If I can explain everything in the Bible to you, I, I personally wouldn't believe. I wouldn't believe the Bible. I figure it was written by a bunch of people, not inspired by God at all. If I could explain everything to you, and if I could explain everything to you, you'd all be worshiping me. Okay. Because then I'd be God. Right. So I'm okay with not being able with having a finite mind and not being able to explain everything the Bible talks about. As a matter of fact, that gives me encouragement because I realize it wasn't written just by human beings. They were inspired by God. That's why we don't understand everything in the Bible. But there's truth in things we don't even understand. In John 1030, it says, I and the father are one. Okay, so Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And then in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says this. In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God, okay, Trinity, and the Word was God. Uppercase G. Don't let anybody tell you it's a lowercase G. Okay, I've studied this so much. This is when it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Okay, that that God is not a lowercase G. It's an uppercase G in the original. All right. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, the word, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that had been made. Okay, who created the world? Yeah, see, that's one you have to know. I'll say it again. Who created the world? Right. So God created everything. Okay. So in John chapter one, okay, verses one through three, it says through him, all things were made. Nothing. Okay. Without him, nothing was made that had been made. Without Jesus, nothing was made that had been made. Only God created. Okay. Jesus is God. Hebrews chapter one and verse three spells it out even more clearly. 
The sun is the radiance of God's being and the exact representation. Okay, he's, he's, the, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Who sustains all things in the world? God does. After he had provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now, people will often say, Okay, well, all right, Jesus is fully God and fully man. If he's fully God, then why is it that he, when he was on earth, why didn't he do this? Or why didn't he stop that? Or why couldn't he? Or why didn't he? And good questions. Those are good questions. And this is important. Get your pen out again. Okay, when Jesus was in the incarnate Christ was on the earth, okay, he restrained his deity. He did not reduce it. It wasn't taken away. He restrained his deity. Let me give you a couple examples of how he restrained his deity. Jesus, the son, chose not to be omnipresent when he was on this earth. Omnipresent in the same place. OK, all places at the same time, everywhere at the same time. God, the father, God, the father at that point, omnipresent. God is at all places at all times. All right. Jesus chose not to be omnipresent. He restrained his deity. Jesus chose not to be omniscient, all-knowing, while he was on the earth. And there's examples of that as well. Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour of my returning. In Matthew chapter 2 of 24, verse 36, it says, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Why would the Son not know? Because Jesus, the Son, restrained his deity, fully God and fully man. And that's important, okay? His restraining of his deity is so important. It get, I'm getting goosebumps right now just thinking about it. It's so important to, the, to us, to you, to understand what this theologically means. This is so significant and so exciting. And I'm going to share it with you. If you're not excited, something's wrong with you. All right. So here's the, here's the cool thing. Okay, I truly believe, and I'm, I'm right, that, that Jesus experienced uh, much of life as it came, for example, as, as it actually came. He truly understands what Jeff Greer goes through, how Jeff Greer feels, because he felt it. He understands how you feel when you're broken hearted, when you go through struggles, when you're suffering, physically suffering, emotionally suffering, spiritually suffering. He understands all those things. Why? Because he actually felt it. He experienced pain. He experienced joy. He experienced the loss of people around him as it came so that he could listen to this so that he could empathize and not just sympathize with what I go through. In other religions, you can have you can they can say, well, we have a God and whatever else who can sympathize what what they've been through. False gods, whatever the case may be. Jesus can empathize. The incarnate Christ can empathize. Jesus now can empathize what you've been through, not just sympathize. That's so important. You will never read this Hebrews passage again if you truly get this in your mind. Okay, in Hebrews chapter four and verse 15, it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We do not have, my, guys, we don't have, Jesus goes to the Father in our defense, right? He, he, Jesus, the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also the sins of the whole world. Jesus is the representative between us and God the Father. 
And this representative, it says, we do not have a high priest going to the Father in our defense who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. He can sympathize, but he can also empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Now, could he have known everything Whenever he wanted to know everything before it happened, could he have done that? Could he have known everything before it happened? Yes. Yes, he could have. But through much of his life, I truly believe that he experienced. He experienced the circumstances and events as they happened. As they happened, he felt the loss as it happened. He felt the pain. He shed tears. They weren't fake tears. They weren't like, well, you know, you know, now's the time to shed tears because this would look good and set example for people. No, he shed tears because that's how he felt. He experienced circumstances as they came, as they happened. Now, now, now we'll jump back to Mary here, okay, in this whole story. Mary was a human, with a human nature, so she experienced and related to this from a human perspective, okay, like a human mother would. Because sometimes we read the Bible and we're like, well, how could they act like that? How could they say that? Didn't they know that he was the Son of God? Didn't they understand? How could it? Mary was a human being, and so when she, when she went through this experience, she found Jesus. She acted like a mom. That's what a, how a mom would act. Okay? Because that's all she could do. Now, she, it says in the Bible that it says that she, the, his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. So first she says, behold, how could you have treated, you know, how, how could you have done this? And then he says to her, you know, he basically says, didn't, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I would have to be in my father's house? And, and what, is it, what does it say then? Mary, who's pretty cool, okay, Jesus' mother, pretty sharp. It says, and his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. How many times have you read that? in your life or heard that and Mary treasured up all these things in her heart what does that mean well I was thinking I need to really I want to I want to describe what that means so as I was studying these past couple weeks I came across Albert Barnes notes on the Bible and and it expresses it like this I want to read this to you and I'll I'll send out my notes uh, you know it says this week with Pastor Jeff I send those out and you guys can get them and I'll make sure I put this in there so you have it written down but listen try to listen to these words okay Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. And this is, this is his notes on this. Mary kept all these things, all that happened, and all that was said respecting her child. She remembered what the angel had said to her, what had happened to Elizabeth and to the shepherds, all the extraordinary circumstances which had, att- had attended the birth of her son. Here in a delicate and beautiful expression of the feelings of a mother. A mother forgets none of those things which occur respecting her children. So true. Everything they do or suffer, everything that is said to them is treasured up in her mind. And often she thinks of those things and anxiously seeks what they may indicate respecting the future character and welfare of her child. It is so beautifully said, so beautifully put. 
Mary treasured up all these things. Jesus was speaking to her. She was watching him in the temple. I mean, she walked in and he's like interacting with the teachers at 12 years old. Everyone is completely mesmerized and totally amazed by the, the questions he's asking and the answers that he's giving and the interaction that's going on. Mary then treasures up all these things in her heart. Right? She's taking it all, she's taking it all in. Joseph and Mary didn't under, totally understand what was happening right before their eyes. How could they? Honestly. They're just human beings. How could they? So Mary is like, it's like, she's like, she's taking it all in. She's taking it all, watching her 12 year old. You know, she's like, where have you been? But holy moly, what's going going on here? All these emotions are are running kind of wild. And the Bible says that it says this, it says, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. When he, when he said back, why were you searching? Where did you know? They didn't totally understand what he was saying to them. I'm sure he even said more, right? But they didn't get it. They didn't get it. And, 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 and honestly, how could you? We understand, honestly. We understand it all because we have the gospel, right? We have the gospels. We have, we have when Jesus, we have the story of when Jesus walked the earth. We have all of that. So we, you know, we, it's easy for us to go back and say, well, I don't understand why they didn't understand that. We have it all written down. We understand the beginning, how that happened, and the middle, and all things. And then we have the end. We have the end of the story. They didn't have the end of the story. So at first, Mary acted like a mom, just a a human mom would act, but quickly, she very quickly realizes that something absolutely amazing is going on here. She realizes that. Mary's sharp, okay? Mary, fully human, so Mary's going to react in a fully human way, but... But Mary is sharp, and so she realized something amazing is going on here. She moves from a temporal perspective, a human perspective, if you will, to a eternal perspective pretty quickly. Right? She goes from, why, how could you, your father and I, to Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. From a temporal perspective to an eternal perspective. And as I was studying this, I thought to myself, none of us could have handled this any better. None of us could have navigated this story, could have navigated this situation any better better than Mary and Joseph handled it. So, all right, we kind of just say pause there for a second. So all of this so far the last two weeks leads to a very important question for, for each one of us. Where do you find the divine? Okay, where where do you find the divine? Where do you find ultimate truth? We're talking about finding Jesus. We're talking about finding ultimate truth. We're talking about what what is the true meaning of Christmas, if you will. How can I have peace and joy and contentment in my life? So the question is, how do you find the divine? Mary and Joseph were searching, okay, for three days for their son, and they found him. So how do we find ultimate truth? How do we find the divine? So many people like Mary and Joseph search for him as they did. Mary and Joseph did early on in their search. Okay, so many people follow their pattern. They search for Jesus in all the wrong places. Mary and Joseph search for Jesus at temple at the end. When that's the first place they should have looked. But so many people follow their example and search for Jesus in this world in all of the wrong places. Let me share just a couple of those places. There are a lot. At least share two of them that kind of stand out. 
Some people will tell you that all paths lead to God. And that all religions are equally valid. They're all equally valid. And they tag this part on. As long as someone is sincere. So, all paths lead to God. If you're searching for truth, if you're searching for the divine, all paths all lead to God. And every religion is equally valid, okay? As long as a person is totally sincere. Alright, now... That's the politically correct thing to say you believe. All right? That's the politically correct thing to say that you believe. This way you don't offend anyone, all that kind of thing. Let me share a few thoughts, though, okay, on that, uh, the idea of finding, finding the divine through all, all paths lead to God. Okay? First, sincerity is not the litmus test for truth. Sincerity, you can be sincerely wrong. How many of you have been sincerely wrong before? Raise your hand if you've been sincerely wrong. I have been, I'm sincerely wrong once a week, okay? You, you can be sincerely wrong, alright? That's not, sincerity, oh I believe, I just, oh I just feel and I feel and I feel and I feel. You can be sincere, your, your feelings can be wrong, your sincerity can be wrong, alright? It's not the litmus test for truth, that's number one. Number two, that's, that's not what Jesus said. Right, all paths. Jesus said in John fourteen six. Jesus answered them, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me." Let me say that again. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I'm not putting words in Jesus' mouth. Jesus is putting words in my mouth. Okay? I'm only telling the truth. If I said anything else in what he's saying, I'm a hypocrite and a liar. Okay? As a pastor. That's what Jesus said. So, Jesus, that's not, Jesus didn't say all paths. If you believe that all religions are equally valid and all paths lead to God, now hear me out, then you must, okay, you must call Jesus Christ a liar. You have to. Can't get around it. You can't like, oh, it's, well, that's not very nice. No. If you believe this, then Jesus Christ is a bold-faced liar and you, you must call him a liar. Number three, that's not what logic dictates. All paths are equally leading to... That's not what logic dictates, okay? That's the, the, law, the, the law of non-contradiction says a truth's opposite cannot also be true. Let me say that again. The law of non-contradiction says a truth's opposite cannot also be true. The opposite of true is not true. The opposite of truth, okay, is what? False, okay? So, in just logically, let's take God out of the equation for a second, okay? A truth opposite cannot also be, cannot also be true. The opposite of true is not true. The opposite of true is false. So, if Hinduism is true, then Christianity is... It's false. If Christianity is true, then pick whatever you want. Those things are false. Now, now... We're in 2017, and everybody's getting nervous, right? I'm saying this. I'm getting all nervous. Okay, here's the thing. Can we then respect other people's opinions and love them? Of course, of course. But here's, here's, what, I, here's what I am saying. It means that you cannot compromise truth for convenience, for political correctness, all right? 
You cannot compromise truth for convenience, for political correctness, or because you feel intimidated. Okay? And that's what happens. You go into the world, you go into culture, and you want to speak truth, but you can't because it's not, it doesn't sound nice. But you, but you cannot deny truth because of, because you compromise, because you want to be politically correct, or because you're intimidated or fearful. That those are not valid reasons not to stand on what is true. We need, we should be seekers of truth. And that's what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If you're looking for peace, if you're looking for joy, if you're looking for contentment, if you're looking for ultimate truth in life and how you can live your life built on a foundation, okay, for your life, then I would encourage you to seek Jesus. Find Jesus. Because all those other paths are going to lead you just all over the place. Another reason, another thing here. People will say, well... That's not true, but this is. We are all gods. Okay? We are, this is my favorite. We are, we, I've heard this, but you know, you have to understand, you, I know you're a pastor, but we, we are all gods. And, and we are told that we need to look for the divine within ourselves. There's no, there's no God. You just look for the divine. Each one of us is a God, lowercase g. And we've got to look for the divine within ourselves, within each of us. Or, or you can just watch, the, or watch or read the news, and that will cure you of searching for the divine within each of us. All right? If that doesn't cure you, I'll give you a ticket to Washington, D.C. You hang out there for two weeks. That will cure you completely of searching for the divine within each of us. All right. It's not that's that's not that's not that's not reality. You know, here's the reality. Here's reality. When human beings hear me out, think about this logically. Think this through. When humans, Jeff or anyone else believes that truth, all truth resides with them, that deity resides within them. Okay, resides in themselves. What you end up with is genocide. You end up people like Hitler. And the Holocaust. That's what you end up with. Okay? When people don't have, when people are not seeking after God and being obedient to God, they think they are God, if you will. That truth resides, ultimate truth resides in me. Ultimate deity, if you will, resides in me. So if I'm searching for, then I can find it right here within myself. Here's the reality. I sit with so many of you all the time. And if you've been around long enough, and if you ask me questions like, hey, I've got a, I've got a job move. I'm not really sure about this. And, and it's not, I can't pull chapter and verse out. What I say to you is, listen, this is just my opinion. I'm trying to base it as much as I can on the principles of the Bible, but I'm not God. This is my opinion of maybe some, some paths that you could try. You may want to go to your boss and say this. You may want to, you may want to just look for another job because it's not going to change. You may want to, but these are, I'm not God, okay? I don't have the ultimate truth and the answer to your question. And so I openly acknowledge that I don't have the answer and I do my best to what? Point you back to the Word. I point you back to scripture because I am not God there's no I don't the, the deity does not the, Jesus Christ dwells in me the Holy Spirit dwells in me but in, in and of myself I am I am not God as much as some people would like to think they are that's not true if you want to find the divine if you want to find ultimate truth 
If you want to find Jesus, then you're going to find him in the pages of Scripture. That's where you're going to find ultimate truth. You're going to find Jesus in the pages of Scripture. See, listen, here you're not you're, you're not going to find what you're you're not going to find what you're looking for by believing that all paths lead to God. That may sound nice at a party when a bunch of people are standing around, but you're not going to find what you're looking for by believing that all paths lead to God. You're not going to find what you're looking for, okay? You're, you are, you're just not going to find it by searching for the divine within yourself. How, guys, how many times have you gotten to the point where you, you go to pull up your bootstraps and there's no bootstraps? You don't even have boots, let alone. Right? You dig down deep, what do you find? Sometimes. Bupkis, Right? My favorite words. You find bupkis. You search for the divine within, and sometimes you reach down deep. You search real hard, you really, and you come up with nothing because it's over, world is over, life is overwhelming sometimes, and we need something outside of ourselves to give us the strength and the encouragement and the power and the, and the, and the passion to keep driving forward. You will not find what you're looking for by depending on human leaders. It's just you're not going to find it. You know, it's really funny. Talking about, you know, leading up to Christmas and what is the true meaning of everybody asks, this is this is the true meaning. What is the true meaning of Christmas? What is this all about? I, I am going to admit something this morning to you. I know it's going to be hard for some of you to hear. OK, but I'm going to have to admit something to you and come clean. At night, sometimes I will sit with my wife and we will watch the Hallmark Channel. OK, especially during Christmas, right? If you watch the Hallmark Channel, there's about 4,000 movies. All of them are pretty much exactly the same. Right? Right? Come on, admit it. You know, you, you watched them. People were, some people weren't admitting it, but one of, my, one of the elders said, hey, don't worry about it. Your man card is laminated. You don't have to worry. Just, you can speak the truth. Okay? And, and what I love about the Hallmark is, you know, my, Josh will sit there and he goes, I can't believe you're watching this. Turn in your man card. This is ridiculous. And he'll go downstairs and watch basketball or something. And I'm like, Josh, you don't understand. I get reality every single day. Okay? Death and suffering and difficulty and confrontation and whatever else. All I want to do is sit here and know this is how it's going to start. Then there's going to be a point where the guy or the girl gets on the phone and says something the other person doesn't understand and they misunderstand. They get all, they cry, they walk away. I never want to see you again. You're not the person I thought you were. And then they realize the person was really something, something awesome and they're perfect and they're wonderful and they find that out through some circumstance. They come together, they kiss and the movie's over. It's all awesome. Okay? When people go off to war, right, and they're missing in action, they're presumed dead. They're dead, ah! And I'm thinking, no, they're not. Because this is the Hallmark Channel. They're going to come back to life, okay? And they do. And you're like, come on, Josh. And then all of a sudden, it's like Christmas in the Christmas tree. And Josh comes through the door. And he's like, just look, he's alive. You're like, yes, I knew this was going to happen, but I still love it. This is awesome. And I go to bed happy because Josh survived. You know what I mean? But here's the one thing we mock, okay? They see a beautiful Christmas tree and they say, now that is the true meaning of Christmas. Right? Santa Claus. And, his rain, and they look up in the sky at the end. He's flying, And that is the true meaning of Christmas. Everything is, a, you know, they get a kiss at the end. And that's the true meaning of Christmas. That is not the true meaning of Christmas. Okay? 
If you want to find the divine, if you truly want to find Jesus, it comes with us submitting, okay? Submitting to Him. Submitting our lives to Him and humbly acknowledging that He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the meaning of Christmas. Do you want to truly experience Christmas like you've never experienced it before? Then you need to humble yourself and acknowledge that He is Emmanuel, God with us, and He can help us through whatever struggles we're facing this Christmas when those relatives come, okay? And they and they stay for a week, okay? You can reach down and grab as many bootstraps as you feel like it, right? You're not going to survive it without the love of Jesus Christ carrying you through that week sometimes. And I'm not joking. The kinds of things that you tell me people say to you as relatives blows my mind, and you can't reach down. And it's not within yourself. And it's not all past. It's Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. The Holy Spirit living in us. Jesus Christ walking with us. That is the true meaning of Christmas. I love Christmas trees. I kind of don't mind saying it. You know, I don't, all that kind of, but seriously, the true meaning of Christmas is God with us. Loving us so much. God the Father loving us so much that He sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to earth. That He would die on a cross. That He would be a little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. That He would be 12 years old, sitting in a temple, talking to the teachers and growing in wisdom and in stature. Knowing that someday He loved you and me so much. Even He loved us so much that He would choose to go to the cross. That He would choose to restrain His deity and go through everything that was heaped upon him. Why? Because he loved us so much. That, my friends, is the true meaning of Christmas. I want you to bow your heads with me. And I just don't, wouldn't feel right if you walked out of here. Some of you may have been coming to church for a while and you've heard sermons and you kind of get this religious thing, but you've never truly understood. And maybe this morning you're, you're beginning to truly understand. Maybe you come for the first time and you've heard this for the first time. Listen, you don't need to be a spiritual giant to give your life to Christ. He made it pretty easy. The Bible says that God so loved the world. He loved you. Let's make it personal. So for God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It's as simple as that. So I'm asking you this morning, with the little that you know, with the very little that you know, are you willing to take a step of faith and ask Jesus Christ to come into your life? I want you to pray this simple prayer with me if that's your desire. Just pray it to yourself. You don't have to say it out loud. Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, into this world. That he would walk, even as a child, with the knowledge of what his ultimate purpose would be to save me. Father, thank you that he died on a cross for my sins. I actually don't need a pastor or a Bible even to tell me that I'm a sinner. I just need to live my life and realize that I'm not perfect. Just say, God, I'm not perfect. I know that I sin. And because I sin, I'm separated from you. 
I no longer want to be separated from you. I want you to adopt me into your family. I want to be adopted into your family. I want to be chosen, chosen, loved and chosen by you and adopted into your family. So God, please adopt me into your family. And fill me with your Holy Spirit. And help me to live every day to the best of my ability. Help me to live every day to the best of my ability. More like Jesus. If you prayed that simple prayer, there's nothing magic in the words. It's really in your heart. The Bible says if you confess with your heart that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's as simple as that. Now, I'm not going to ask anyone to raise their hands, or but here's what I would like you to do as we close. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, I want you to have the courage to find me, to find one of the other pastors, to find one of the other staff people, to find one of the elders, to find a leader, and to come to them and share with them that you prayed that prayer. Why? Because praying that prayer is your first step. And I mean, you, now you are, you are one with Christ. You are forever sealed with him. You cannot lose what you've just gained. Okay? That's done. It's called justification. Just as if I'd never sinned. So now you are, you are secure in God's hands. Now, from that point, you want to grow to become more like Jesus. How do you do that? You need someone to come alongside you, help you find the right Bible, and help you to disciple you so that you become more like Christ. Not working your way to heaven. That's already sealed and done. Now, because you love him so much, you want to become more like him. Find one of us, and we will help you become more like him. Father, thank you for this time that we can spend together. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for Jesus who loved us so much that he was willing to give his life for us. That is the true meaning of Christmas. Help us find him, Lord. Help us all find him. If we've wandered away, help us to, help us to just wander back because you're right there waiting. Thank you. We praise you for this morning. We thank you for your truth. And we ask that you would bless us and dismiss us with your blessing in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Have a great week.